BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan Chase and Company. Pushkin. Hey, Lost Tales listeners, it's Dana. I wanted to let you know that you can hear the entire new season of Lost Tales ad-free, along with other great binge listens, by becoming a Pushkin Plus subscriber. Find Pushkin Plus on the Lost Hills show page in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm slash plus. Hi, Dana. Aloha from Maui. Hi, Diane. This is Diane Oosterveen. She's lived in Hawaii for decades and for years had a business selling vintage Hawaiian shirts. Among her customers... Jack Nicholson, and Sharon Stone. But once upon a time, Diane was one of Mickey Dora's girlfriends. I grew up in Los Angeles, in the Valley, in Sino and West Hollywood. Diane was a runaway. She'd left an abusive home and found herself in foster care. I was raised strict Catholic. So I had that all that parochial schooling and then went wild when I hit uh, high school. Diane met Mickey in 1962. She was 17, a total babe. She describes herself then as a cross between Sandra Dee and Pamela Anderson. I was a runner-up in the Miss Bikini Contest, Palm Springs. Blonde, blue-eyed, big boobs, you know, the typical blonde uh, valley girl. And, you know, naive, somewhat. Diane was at the beach for one reason and one reason alone. The reason Mickey Dora hated. So he had to admit it threw some opportunities his way. Had you seen the Gidget movie at that point? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I was impressed with it. I was intrigued with it. And that's why we started going to Malibu, because we heard that's where the cute boys were. Diane didn't surf or swim. She camped out on the sand, watching the guys in the water. 
there was one surfer who stood out. He was a showman. We were laying on the beach and everybody was, attention was to the water. And there seemed to be somebody performing out there. And of course that was Mickey Dora. He was pushing all the boys off their boards, jumping on their board and riding it in. And everybody was ooing and aahing. And uh, all of a sudden I saw this amazing looking man walking out of the water. <laughs> he was gorgeous. What can I say? I mean, uh, tall, dark, and handsome. Every bit of the word. He was agile. He was like a dancer on a surfboard. And I fell in love the minute he walked out of the water. And he walked out, threw his board next to my towel, laid down, looked at me in the eye while I could barely talk. He said to me, do you want to go to a party? I said, yes, but you'll have to pick me up. He says, where do you live? I said, in the valley. He says, oh, I don't go to the valley. (laughs) Still, Mickey could work with this situation. He must have sensed right away that Diane was a lot like him. A beautiful, untethered orphan. Someone who adored him at first sight. Someone game. Someone he could manipulate. Someone who would be his partner in crime. I'm Dana Goodyear, and this is Lost Hills. Episode 6, Fuck the World. At Malibu, Mickey was the king, and all eyes were on him, every move he made. But his life away from the beach? That was a mystery to everyone. And that's how he liked it. He didn't want anything to do with anybody. With the explosion in surfing's popularity, the Valley Cowboys... The Vals invaded Malibu. He thought they were kooks. They ruined his wave, contaminated his scene. Here's Diane. And that's what used to piss him off at Malibu because all these valley kids and kids with no talent would interfere in what he was doing. And he hated it because he used to have his peace at Malibu, you know, and that was taken away. And it made him angry. Mickey didn't pick Diane up for that party he invited her to when she first saw him on the beach. No, he made her wait two weeks, refusing her and making her crazy. Finally, she invited him to dinner at her house, in the valley, and he agreed. We uh, had dinner, which was hysterical because I didn't know how to cook. And I took a piece of hamburger meat, rolled it up in a ball, and put it in a pot and rolled it around. He was hysterical with laughter and took me out to dinner, I think, at, uh, I don't know, something, some small place. And uh, we hung around and necked and didn't make love. Mickey wanted to see Diane again. He was living with his grandmother, Madame de Sanctis. So that wasn't a good place for them to hang out. And he wasn't going to keep going to the valley. 
he suggested a parking lot of a 24-hour burger spot in Hollywood. And we used to meet at Tiny Nailer's parking lot. And we used to hang out in, in his car and talk and neck and make plans, you know. Mickey was 28. Diane was still a teenager and pretty inexperienced. He asked me why I wasn't in school. And I said, well, I graduated, but they kicked me out and I couldn't go to the prom or any of the, uh, the ceremonies. And he said, why? And I said, well, I was bad. I uh, had a friend steal a time uh, clock from the school and we hooked it up in my locker. And then the kids would pay me a couple of bucks to come in and stamp their time card to go to class late or to cut class. And then I got caught because it kept making a ticking sound every time anybody would walk by. What was Mickey's reaction when you told him that story? Are you kidding? He loved it. You know, uh, (laughs) he saw a great future for us. (laughs) Before long, Mickey made a proposal that they take their relationship to the next level. One day he said, you got to move out of the valley. (laughs) Because he thought everybody in the valley were idiots. And he thought I wasn't. So uh, I said, okay. He says, find a place, but it can't be in the valley. I said, okay. So I found a place. And we moved in together. With Mickey, everything was mysterious. He was famous for changing names, you know. We'd always have, you know, pseudo names that we'd make up for each other. What were, what were some of those names? No, oh, he was Chicky Mafin, Miklos Sandor. He was uh, Mickey uh, Mouse. He was <laughs> many names. She decided to change her name, too. My name was Alice Diane at birth. So I would always use the name Diane, but when I got with Mickey, I was using Alice. I wanted to be mysterious, too, you see. She found a place in Brentwood, and they named it after her, Alice's Little House. It was adorable, it was a little cottage, and uh, I kept it very neat. Mickey didn't have a lot of stuff. His great joy was the fact you could go out the back door and there was a garage where he could store all the boards and, you know, the vintage cars. Mickey collected antique cars, a 1948 Jaguar, a 1958 Porsche Spider, a 1930 Rolls-Royce Phantom II, He had expensive taste, and somewhere off stage, a supposedly aristocratic family. Diane was impressed. He was a lot more sophisticated than she was, and it kept her from thinking too hard about where the money was coming from. For Diane, living with Mickey meant living by his routines, and they were very specific. He'd wake up in the morning very early. He'd um, take vitamins jump in the car with me. He picked me up a cup of coffee somewhere. We'd go down to um, either Malibu or Trestle, some place, you know, two or three beaches. He'd get out of the car and stare at the ocean. And I'd sit in the car and drink my coffee, thinking, what the fuck is he doing? And why does he do this every morning? Is he nuts? And then I'd go to work, because I was working in a, a boutique at the time. And he would go in the garage, pick his board, and surf all day. I'd come home from work, 
he'd be there, we'd lay in bed, listen to stock reports or the news or something, uh, make dinner, which was usually steak, potato and wine. And I wasn't drinking at that time, but he always had good wine. And uh, that was it. It was real simple, you know, and uh, probably that's one of the reasons why he didn't want me to tell anybody how we lived. Because it wasn't, you know, as exciting as the life that was outside of the house. Diane became the keeper of Mickey's secrets. And of course, I was always warned never, ever to let anybody know where he lived. So our whole relationship was super, super secret. And I loved it because uh, I'd go lay on the beach with him and... uh, He'd be in the water, and of course, all his buddies, you know, would all come up to me and start drilling me about Mickey. You know, they want to know, where does he live? What does he do? What does he eat? And of course, I adored the attention and wouldn't tell them a thing. And of course, Mickey loved the fact that I could keep my mouth shut. What was behind all that secrecy? Probably afraid that somebody was going to come and steal stuff that he probably already stole. In other words, a thief is always suspicious that someone's going to come and steal from them. Playing house at Alice's little house got Diane dreaming of a life with Mickey. To a 17-year-old runaway, the 28-year-old seemed so worldly. Maybe he could offer her the stability that had eluded her so far. I knew I wanted more than, you know, living in a a Mormon foster home. I knew I wanted to be, you know, self-sufficient. And then I met Mickey and fell madly, madly in love. And thought for sure, thought for sure I could convince him to give up surfing and uh, marry me and have children and work for his father and live happily ever after. (laughs) But Mickey had other plans in mind. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. 
kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. What do you think Mickey saw in you? Uh, innocence, possibly uh, someone he could uh, manipulate in a way. I was a runaway at the time, coming from an abusive family. And he kind of took me under his wing, you know, somewhat influenced me. He was a big influencer, actually, and taught me how to protect myself and to fuck the world, you know. You know, his big thing to put on his board was FTW which makes me laugh because now it means for the win. And uh, in those days, FGW meant fuck the world, you know. Question authority. Uh, those were the lessons he kept trying to teach me, you know. Trust no one. Fuck the world. That was Mickey's credo, the rule he lived by. I thought it was perfect life, you know until I realized he was a scoundrel and a rogue. (laughs) And was training me to be an accomplice. (laughs) By day, Mickey and Diane were living the good life in Alice's little house, taking their vitamins and keeping up with current events. She'd go to her shop girl job, and he'd spend the day in pursuit of his bliss, riding waves. It was clean, almost wholesome. Mickey thought the best things in life were free. Empty waves, vitamin D. But he thought the finest things in life should be free, too. So at night, Mickey and Diane turned into Bonnie and Clyde. And they hit the town. He had a connection at La Scala restaurant, which would be like um, Spago today. And his friend would call him with the list of all the parties that they were catering that weekend in Beverly Hills. I mean, parties that I would never imagine myself going to. I mean, people dripping in diamonds and, you know, in those days, even furs. And uh, it was always, you know, high-end. 
Mickey kept a champagne flute and some bubbly in his car. He'd walk into a party backwards, holding his full glass as if he fully belonged. He'd also bring a plastic bag to fill with extra food. And we'd have a list of uh, maybe five or six addresses. And then we'd find out from our family, what kind of food are they serving? Hamburgers and hot dogs, it was a pool party. If it was, you know, caviar and, and salmon croquettes, we were going to wear the beaded dress. They'd pull up in one of Mickey's cool cars and waltz right in, no questions asked. And then we'd go through the front door like uh, we owned the place and schmooze people in the party that we didn't know. It was a game to them. The subterfuge was thrilling, like being in a James Bond movie. Mickey loved James Bond. Actually, at parties, it was amazing. We were like, people would always come up to us and start talking. Mickey could talk anybody about anything, and we'd get off on it, you know. We'd eyeball each other across the room laughing. We were magnets. First, I thought they were suspicious of us, but then in the end, they were just being friendly. At every party, Diane worried they'd get caught. But Mickey always felt right at home, rubbing elbows with A-listers. And we'd circulate, then we'd talk to people. <laughs> All the time thinking, I hope they don't ask who we are. Mickey would go and get me a cocktail, you know, and uh, we'd walk around the party like we belong. And then at a certain point, I'd go in the bedroom where everybody put their purses and their coats and, you know, and lay on the bed and pretend I had a headache and slip my finger into some purse, never take the money, only the American Express credit card. And then as soon as I had the card, I'd walk out. The said, I feel so much better, but I think I better go home. And I'd say goodbye to all the people that I've been talking to, and we'd leave the party. Sometimes they'd go to multiple parties in one night, changing outfits along the way. We'd hit a couple, if not three. Each one was different, and that's what made it fun. We maybe, you know, be dressed uh, real fancy for one party, and then maybe we'd run home and change for another party because it was all in the neighborhood. And then on Sunday, we'd go shopping. <laughs> Here's how it worked. Back then, when a card was lost or stolen, the card number went on a physical list, which went out to retailers. This was, you know, early 60s. There were no computers. And uh, they would send out a list weekly of the credit cards that were hot. And because Diane worked at a shop, she had a copy of the hot list. She knew when they could freely spend on a stolen card and when they had to stop. And I'd check it. And then I'd call Mickey and say, don't use this, don't use that. Or it's not on the list yet, you know, go buy a TV. If they were careful, there was almost no way for them to get busted unless Diane got caught red-handed at a party, which she didn't. Mickey convinced her that what they were doing wasn't all that bad. In their minds, it was basically a victimless crime. I never got busted. Because when we'd take the American Express card or whatever card it was, we'd only use it for a couple of days. 
and then we cut it up. And we knew that the only one that we were fucking with is the establishment and that particular person that we had stolen it from, whoever that may be, uh, wasn't going to get charged. So he didn't want to make victims out of these part, fellow partygoers. He wanted to make a victim out of the American Express Company. Yes. It was, you know, fuck the establishment, but don't hurt the people. Unless somebody crossed him. And if you crossed him, he'd put sugar in your gas tank, blow your car up, you know, or do something silly. Why was he so anti-establishment and fuck the world? I think he was just angry. And that was his outlet. Because I really didn't pay much attention to it all. I just knew the establishment were idiots and we were cool, you know. Got to remember I was 17, 18. Wasn't thinking of those things. I was thinking about what bikini I was going to wear the next day. It was easy money, which Mickey collected with a sneer. He had nothing but disdain for his victims, though he liked their caviar just fine. Hollywood types were an easy mark for him. He had already figured that out, on the beach in Malibu, when the Hollywood producers first showed up to film the Gidget movie. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms, and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs, that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. 
Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. Mickey hated the whole Gidget phenomenon, but that did not stop him from working as a stunt double for Moondoggy in the original Gidget movie in 1959. Why don't you go back to your playmates? Oh, but I haven't even thanked you for saving my life. Okay, so now you have. Go on back to Mama. And run, don't walk. He hated it, but he liked the money. You know, he hated uh, that they were ruining the beaches, but... uh, he, he liked the excitement of being in the movies. For the next decade, Mickey worked in the Gidget sequels and any other teeny bopper beach movie he could get himself hired on. He was a stuntman in Gidget Goes Hawaiian in 1961. Since the Gidget came to Waikiki. It was opportunity for him. And he always wanted to be a movie star. I mean, that's why he was the king of Malibu. He went to Hawaii and surfed 20-foot waves with Greg Knoll for Ride the Wild Surf in 1964. He was credited as a beach boy in Beach Blanket Bingo, the 1965 classic starring Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. That same year, Mickey also appeared in How to Stuff a Wild Bikini. Wow, dig that wild bikini. Yeah. It ain't nothing without the stuffing. How do we stuff it? Easy, man. You just... And when Gidget became a TV show, he taught Sally Field to surf. You see before you meet Gidget. For 15 and a half years... Mickey may have had strong feelings about the exploitation of Malibu and surf culture, but he didn't mind doing a little exploiting of his own. He was making boku bucks because he was doing a lot of stunt work. And that's what messed us up because he started flirting with uh, either the producer's daughter or somebody's daughter that had the power to give him more work. But even off the film sets, on the beach in Malibu, Mickey always seemed to be in character. Here's Diane. He was a much gentler, quieter, simple uh, person at home, and we had a lot of fun and tried to have a healthy, wonderful life. And then when he hit Malibu, it was a different story. He was on. Was his persona a kind of performance art? Yeah, when you, when you when you say it that way, I would think that every time he got on a board in Malibu, it was performance art. And maybe also every time he showed up at the beach in a leather trench coat. Of course. He was always doing something for effect. You know, I mean, uh, for reaction. And he was playing Mickey Dora. Exactly. Or Chicky Mason or Big Close Sandor, you know whatever persona or name he wanted to come up with at that time to fit his his mood or his protest. <laughs> In the era of the beach blanket bingo type of movies, 
Malibu was basically an open casting call. Mickey made sure he was highly visible. He got picked to do a surfing double. I guess they were producers went on the beach in Malibu and, uh, you know, picked people to be extras and dancers and stuff like that in these films. He was, uh, you know, a stand-in surfer for all the big guys in, in all those movies. It was Mickey that was doing the surfing. And I, he wanted to be an actor. He would have loved to have been an actor, and he probably would have been a good one, except he'd always mess up. What do you mean by he'd always mess up? Oh, he'd pull some shenanigan that would piss somebody off, and then they'd throw him off the set. There'd be a scene of, of a two-spot of people talking, and Mickey'd be in the background dancing like a fool, and you know, and, and all the energy went to him. <laughs> um, he would find a way to steal the spotlight, should we say? He's a, you know, he's like a child that needed attention all the time, and I didn't mind it. I, you know, I was madly in love. He was my mentor, you know. Uh, my savior, you know, he took care of me, you know, and I shaved his back so he could be uh, faster in the water. <laughs> Things were not perfect between Diane and Mickey. The power differential was enormous. Did he act jealous over you? Absolutely. I couldn't talk to other boys, uh, if I went somewhere that was party with, like, his friends, he'd tell me to wear my glasses so I wouldn't look so good. <laughs> uh. They lived together secretly in Alice's little house. But Mickey had a whole life outside of Diane. Did he have other girlfriends at the same time that you were together? I think so. And uh, he... Um, was seeing a woman, Cynthia, a married woman, of course. When you said that he liked to date married women because it was a way of kind of, you know, having a secret. It was safe. Mm. Yeah, and it was also safe, you know. He didn't have much commitment. You know, he didn't have to worry about it. And the only, I think the only married woman that I remember was probably Cynthia. And he used to just tell me they they used to be surfers together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you didn't believe that was the extent of it. Well, actually, I did for a while. I thought I had the perfect romance and that, you know, he's going to eventually give up surfing <laughs> and uh, get a job that his dad would give him and he'd inherit uh, the family business and we'd marry and everything was honky-dory. And then when I realized everything was just a scam and he had all these girlfriends, I said, pass. I left him. I was too uh, too jealous. I mean, I was insanely jealous of him. You remember, he's the first one. The breakup was vicious. I had my car packed with everything that I owned. And he came home and he said, what are you doing as I'm leaving? And uh, he says, you can't leave. What are you talking about? You know, and I said, I don't want to do this. And, 
and I'm out of here. And I remember driving away, bawling my eyes out. And then him checking with me, I don't know, about a week later to make sure I was all right. And what's, what are you doing? Where are you living? And I wouldn't tell him, you know. And then he was worried that I would tell people where he lived. <laughs> And I could care less because I was working on a new movie and I thought I was going to be a big movie star and went to Rome. And, oh, you know, my whole life changed after that, needless to say. And, um, yeah, thank God. <laughs> Diane left Los Angeles and went to Rome to act in Fellini's Satyricon and a bunch of spaghetti westerns. She got married, happily, and it was a few years before she crossed paths with Mickey Dora again. It seemed like he was up to his same old tricks. When I came back to America, Mickey had contacted me for something. I don't know what he wanted. He wanted us to go live with him in New Zealand. You know, he wanted to start a commune or some sort of lifestyle there. And uh, we'd all, you know, plant vegetables. And uh, Did you think he was trying to scam you guys? Oh, immediately. You know, immediately. When he started in talking about New Zealand, I thought, uh-huh, uh-uh. No, I didn't buy it. Toward the end of their relationship, Mickey started to talk about leaving Malibu. He was looking for a new wave, a perfect, clean wave with nobody else on it, far away from Malibu. But to travel, he'd need money. He wanted to start taking it a step further and try and steal airline tickets so he could travel the world in search of the perfect wave. He had tried to enroll Diane. I remember going to the airport, I forget, like it was Burbank or some little airport. And Mickey would say, now you talk to the guy for a minute and see if you can get him to turn away. And I'd say, oh, okay. And I'd talk to the guy about, you know, is this flight going blah, blah, here, blah, blah. And then Mickey had the sleight of hand when it came to stealing. And he would reach over the desk and take a stack of airline tickets. And this is, again, pre-computer. Then he would fill them out and sell them to friends, saying, you want to go to New Zealand? I can get you a ticket for free. You want to go to Paris? Let me get you a ticket. And he would just fill out the tickets, give them to the person. The person would give him, I don't know, a few hundred dollars. And they would go to Paris. It would work. And I thought, uh-uh, this doesn't look good. This looks like a lot of trouble if we get caught. You know, this isn't a beaded dress. It was escalating, and uh, I didn't want to go there. That's when I decided I'm not interested in this game anymore. It looks pretty heavy. Mickey was expanding his horizons, looking to the world beyond. Malibu was over, he proclaimed. He wrote, quote, The thousands of other plebeian fruit flies that compose the alleged surfing sub-subculture are forcing me to seek greener pastures. Unquote. Soon, he promised, he'd be going into exile. 
he made a huge show of complaining about the rape of Malibu. But this was Mickey's up-close magic. A big distraction. Because even as he burnished his reputation as the lone holdout, the last purist, he was busily picking the pocket of whoever might be listening. Next time on Lost Hills, everyone's hustling. Everyone wanted everyone else to be successful. Some people were you know, showing movies. Some people were selling Hawaiian shirts. Some people were selling surfboards. Some people were selling dope. Nobody wanted to work nine to five. Nobody wanted to wear a suit and tie. Everybody wanted to, to live their own life and be cool. And at the same time, nobody wanted to be poor. And so, you know, the trick was, how do you do that? And, the, and the, the answer was, you figure out how to make the surfing industry work for you. That's next in Episode 7, Misdirection. Lost Hills is written and reported by me, Dana Goodyear. It's created by me and Ben Adair and produced by Western Sound and Pushkin Industries. Subscribe to Pushkin Plus and you can binge the entire season right now ad-free. Find Pushkin Plus on the Lost Hills show page in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm slash plus. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 